0: Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 9, verse 14, continuing on in the Gospel of Mark. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 9, verses 1 to 13, and we saw Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up onto what is called the Mount of Transfiguration. He took them up there and his appearance was changed amazingly They got more of a glimpse of his glory, his unveiled glory was seen by them. Uh, Peter wanted to stay there and uh, Jesus said, no, 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 we can't stay here. And so we pick up the story here in verse 14 as they come down off of the mountain back into what we'll call the valley, if you will, or on the flatland. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him, and he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the multitude answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, so a a demonic spirit. And wherever he seizes him, he throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. He answered him and said, "O faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, this is a tremendous verse, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him, enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him and he began and he became as one dead so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize uh, your total authority over all creation. We see this story, Lord, of you casting out this demon. Nothing, nothing at all that's hard for you, God. With a word, Lord, you drove out this demonic spirit, Lord. With a word, you can change anything, Lord. So our, may our hearts reverence and honor you, God, for your glory and your power and your majesty over all, all of creation, Lord. It, it all belongs to you. It all exists for you, God, for your glory, Lord. So teach us, Lord, how to be prepared for anything that comes our way. Thank you, Lord. We commit this time to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a wonderful story here that I'm not going to focus on, but it's the story of the Father, and it's the story of a desperate man, and he sees Jesus, and he had brought his son to the the disciples, the nine disciples that were down the hill, but they were unable to help, and so... It's interesting that, and this is all off the notes, but I just kind of want to talk about it for a minute. It's interesting, Jesus comes down the hill and immediately there's people disputing with the disciples and there's arguing going on. And, and you know, imagine the scene, guys. There's a, a, a demonically uh, possessed boy here and he's on the ground and he's probably just flopping around like having a seizure. There's the dad there wondering what to do. There's the disciples and there's the religious leaders and they're over here arguing And the father brought the boy to the disciples to cast out the demon, but they couldn't. But now apparently the opposition is taking an an opportunity to argue with the disciples and the poor boy is here suffering. It's a terrible scene. A a blame game, uh, a, a questioning of ability and inability, both against the disciples and probably in their own hearts as they ask that question at the end. And then there's this father who's struggling and, he, and he's desperate for his son. And I love that, that Jesus said, you know, if you believe, all things are possible. And I love the honesty of this man. And I'm totally right there with him. Probably most of us are. I do believe. Pretty much. <laughs> kind of. Help my unbelief. This I believe, but this is huge. Help my unbelief. And I just love the honesty there. Jesus doesn't, you know, rebuke him or correct him or anything like that. I just, I just love the human element that's found in this story. It's just beautiful and I love it all. But that's not what I'm going to talk about. What I want to talk about is the disciples. And the, the, I've entitled this message, Prepare for the Bigger Challenge. So let's go down the notes here and, and we'll just see, kind of, and just remember what the disciples have gone through these last three years with Jesus, what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've done. They had just come down off of the mountaintop experience. And we talk about in, in spiritual terms and in Christian terms, a mountaintop experience where, they, where we have an experience with God. It's amazing. It's life-changing. It might be a trip out to the beach and you're reading your Bible and something jumps out at you like it's never jumped out before. Or you're at a retreat or a, in, in a time of worship with some people and you just feel the presence of the Lord and you're just filled with the Spirit of God. And it's just an amazing moment. And and it seems like a lot of churches just kind of want to recreate this moment all the time. And it's not something we can create anyway. But, you know, we can bring ourselves before the Lord and then he'll do whatever he wants with us. But we're never just supposed to stay in that moment. We'll stay in that moment in heaven. We'll serve the Lord and just fall down before him, throw down our crowns before the throne of God, all all that. But here we have those moments, I'm convinced, so that we can go back down the hill so that we can go back down the hill remembering the authority of Jesus Christ, remembering the glory of God. Peter talks about that just shortly before his death in Second Peter. I referred to it last week. Peter said, you know, we saw his glory on the mountain. And that experience Peter held through the end of his life probably just weeks before his death, before he was executed for his faith. So those mountaintop experiences, as I've said, I'm convinced God gives them to us for his glory so that we'll glorify him more fully and understand him as much as our human minds can, but so that we take that experience with us so we can serve him. So we can have great confidence. So up on the mountain, they had even heard the voice of the father. Look at verse seven here, chapter nine, verse seven. And a cloud came and overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. How's that for a a mountaintop experience? Seeing your rabbi look like he's just, you know, dropped out of heaven and hearing the voice of God. That's an amazing mountaintop experience. But they're not supposed to stay there. Jesus had to die and be raised. If they stay on the mountain, Jesus doesn't die for our sins and humanity is in trouble. The disciples had work to do, kingdom work, and so we can't stay on the mountain. There's always innumerable needs, aren't there, all around us. I really want to say uh, amen and, and that I'm glad to see all the prayer requests coming in. There's quite a number of prayer requests coming in. That's really good. Um, whenever I pray over this prayer request, when I'm able to gather with people and pray, you know, there's a part of me that really rejoices that people here have the faith to turn in a prayer request. I love that. So, can I just invite you, if you're free on Mondays, come and join the group on Mondays. Also, come, come an hour early to church. It's, it's kind of not a bad thing to do. Little joke. I've got to tell you guys when to laugh. I've got to practice my delivery a little more or something. But Come at 9.15 and pray for half an hour. Pray for this service. And then just kind of linger and talk to people. And you know, just For some of you, church starts at 9.15, and I love that. It's beautiful. Just come early and pray. But I'm really encouraged to see all the prayer requests that come in. But these guys were not called to live up on the mountaintop. They were called to come down the hill. And we are called to have our mountaintop experiences and then come back down the hill and make a difference in the world. Look at your notes, Philippians 2. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi, do all things without complaining and disputing. There's a good one. Don't complain. So that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, that's the world that we live in. It's crooked and perverse. The thinking is wrong. The doing is wrong. The planning is wrong in so many ways. The valuing is wrong. That which is useless is highly esteemed and that which is highly esteemed in heaven is seen as useless on earth. Things are as backwards as they can be, have been forever. But, but Paul says among whom you, Christians, shine as lights in the world. So we have the mountaintop experience so we can go down the hill and shine so that we can reflect the glory of God. So they had tremendous, you know, besides the three years of experience with Jesus and the preaching and the teaching and seeing the miracles and being used by Jesus to cast out demons, they had quite a history of being able to cast out demons. Jesus had sent them out. And they had come back and reported success. So they had tremendous past history. But now they have a new challenge. I borrowed a little bit from the Gospel of Matthew. When the father comes to Jesus, it said that he came and he was desperate and he was kneeling down before Jesus. So again, this story is packed with human emotion, the drama of it. Also in Matthew, the father says, Lord, have mercy on my son. Have mercy. Be kind to us, Lord. He had come to the disciples saying, Be kind to us. Now, they were probably emotionally kind, but they didn't have at that moment the goods to help. They were unable to help the man. Imagine how they felt, guys. They had cast out demons before, but this one is different. And now they have to stand there watching this boy you know, foaming at the mouth and flailing on the ground. And there's a crowd, undoubtedly, onlookers just looking and maybe people giving advice or maybe casting blame on the father, casting blame on the kid. In in, In all of that, the boy is down here on the ground suffering and the disciples are starting to look at each other and they're starting to feel like, we can do it. And they're not only sad for the boy and sad for the father, they're getting questioned and now they're questioning themselves. It's just a really difficult moment for them, spiritually speaking. Very difficult. We read that he's an ep- epileptic and suffers severely. Look at your notes. Whether it was actually epilepsy or not, the word for epileptic is lunatic, which means struck by the moon. That's, it's just that phrase developed somewhere along human history. You know, when we're, when we're going around town and things are weird and somebody says to you, must be a full moon... You ever hear that phrase? It's kind of what it means. It must be a full moon. People are crazy, you know. But whatever whatever it was, we are told for sure that it was demonic. We are told that very, very clearly. It was demonic possession, and this demon wanted to destroy the boy, wanted to kill the boy. Imagine, guys, throwing him into fire to burn him to death, or trying to drown him. Imagine the life of the parents, waking up, and, and, you know, probably... There was one there was somebody probably with him twenty four seven to protect him. If you've ever had a sick relative or a kid or something, mom and dad are taking turns sleeping and neighbors are coming over to help and all of that, the boy can't protect himself. He's vulnerable, he's a victim. How it happened, we don't know, we're not told. But the parents undoubtedly are just you know, the word desperate really fits, doesn't it? it? Really fits. How long has this been going on? We're not told. It doesn't take long before sleep deprivation and, you know, emotions are, are just gone and your adrenaline depleted and it's just, you're, you, you're just a mess, you know? And so this was a very serious need that they, that they had here, the father and the boy. Look at verse 18, if you would, in chapter 9. And wherever he seizes him, this demon grabs this kid, throws him down, he foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, he becomes rigid so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. And again, I, we have, you know, we cannot divorce ourselves from the human element here. They had been so successful in ministry, and now they were not. Now they didn't have whatever was needed. All the past history wasn't working right now. Whatever was good before wasn't working today. And so it's terribly discouraging, frustrating, embarrassing. In Matthew 10.1, we had had been told, we were told, we are told, Jesus had given them power over over demons. Luke 10.17, when they had gone out on a preaching mission, look at at your notes, they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Previous success gave them no success for today. They could not go backwards and, and draw from some spiritual bank account. They, they, were, uh, they had insufficient funds, spiritually speaking, for this day. The check was bouncing. It wasn't working. The words, you know, maybe they started changing up the words. Maybe they said, well, maybe, remember Jesus said, what's your name? So, let's, you know, what's your name? Well, that's not working. And Jesus, I remember one time he kind of lifted his hand. Let's lift our hand. That's not working. They were maybe trying everything. Don't know, but they were human, and we're human, and that's how my brain thinks, so that's how their brain may have thought. We're not told all those details, but it's easy to imagine. Look at verse 28. Finally, I'm very glad that they had the humility, the spiritual humility to ask Jesus, why did we fail? And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? It's a wonderful thing, you know, To ask the Lord, I'll put it in these words, and, you know, I hope it fits okay. Why did I fail? Why couldn't I get it done? I've been able to handle this before, but I couldn't handle it today. Now, what we're going to be told is that this kind of demon is different than all the other ones. So it 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 was a harder situation. But the fact is that they were surprised because they thought all the situations were going to be the same. I can handle this. I've done it lots of times. And, and we fall into that, don't we? I can handle this. I've shared my faith with, uh, in Christ before. I've prayed for people before. I've counseled people before. I've helped people before. I've come to the rescue before. God's used me in all of these ways. Well, the, the day might come where you find out, oops, I wasn't able to get it done today. Something was lacking in my life. And so that's what's going on with these guys. I'm glad that they asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? And, you know, it's just a good wake-up call for us. And you know, when we ask this question, we ask this question when we failed. (laughs) You You don't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to ask God why I failed, if you haven't failed yet. You have to fail first. Something something has to come short. You have to fall short in some way that you didn't expect in order for you to even stop and think, why didn't that work out? Why did I fail this time? I've been able to do it every other time. So it's a real sobering, shocking moment because you think you can get it done and then suddenly you find out that you can't get it done, whatever it is. And so it's a real hard moment, but, but humility and wisdom coupled together will bring you to the place where you say, Lord, why couldn't I get it done? I, I love that they didn't blame shift. They didn't walk away saying, well, we can't do everything. Uh, it's probably the dad's fault. You know how he is. I, you saw the look on his face. Or, you know They didn't blame shift. Or they, they, they just totally owned it. Which is always a good thing for us to do too. Instead of Dishing it out on someone else. Verse 29. Jesus Jesus is happy to answer that question. My paraphrase, I'll tell you why you failed. (laughs) Lord, why do we fail? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I'll tell you why you failed. Because this kind, verse 29, can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So... You and I cannot fix everybody's problems, and I'm not called to fix everybody's problems. I remember, and one of my favorite stories in the Gospels um, is of when two brothers came to Jesus, and they said, Lord, uh, make a decision for us. Help us to divide our inheritance, which basically means dad had died, and now there's an inheritance, and the brothers were arguing about the inheritance. Gee, the Bible's not relevant at all, is it? So the brothers are arguing about the, the, you know, the inheritance. Help, uh, tell my brother to divide this right with me. And Jesus simply said, Who made me Lord over you? And Jesus wouldn't let himself get backed into a corner. He wouldn't let himself get manipulated. I really like that. So I don't think we should ever try to serve the Lord, quote unquote, because people are manipulating us. Guys, don't let yourself get manipulated. We're not called to fix every problem. We can't fix every problem. God hasn't equipped us to fix every problem. But in this situation, they were called to do it, in my opinion. And they were unable. This is one they should have been able to handle. This is one that they were called to handle. Jesus didn't say, oh, it's too big for you. It's okay, don't worry. he He didn't let them off the hook at all. He told them, this is why you failed. Because you weren't ready. And in those moments, you guys, and you know this, in those moments of needing to be ready, you can't suddenly say... Give me five minutes and I'll get ready. <laughs> the, readiness, the, the readiness meets the opportunity. A, a good phrase just flashed into my mind, and when that happens, anything can come out of my mouth, so give me a moment. <laughs> Success, and it's, it's kind of a, a, a positive mental attitude phrase, but it, you can, it has spiritual applications. Success happens when preparation meets opportunity. Success happens when preparation meets opportunity. So I think there's, that's a spiritual principle. They, if they would have had been more prepared, now the opportunity came to them, they weren't looking for it, but they didn't have success because they weren't prepared. And once again, they could have said, well, we've done it all the other times. Well, that's great for all the, all the other times, but you weren't prepared today. And so you did not have success. So we're not called to fix every situation. But we are called to to be used by the Lord for some situations, and for those situations we need to be ready. And Jesus said, verse 29, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So let's turn the page over. Look at verse 19. Jesus explains the situation. He kind of describes the failure, if you will. Back in verse 19, the dad is explaining to him in verse 18 that I brought my son to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything. And Jesus said in verse 19, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So, look at your notes here. It's time for some definitions. Their general problem was this. He called them faithless. Faithless means without trust in God. Now you have to stop and say, wait a minute, these were the disciples, they, didn't they have faith in God? Of course they had faith in God. They, had, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. They left their jobs, they left their families, three year uh, traveling thing with, with an itinerant rabbi. So yes, they had faith. You couldn't call them faithless uh, in, in regards to the overarching view of their life. So they were not men with no faith, but at this moment they were men with an absence of faith. And they were men with an absence of faith leading up to this moment as well. They had general faith, but not faith for what was in front of them because they weren't prepared to have faith for what came to them unexpectedly. Over in Matthew 17, Jesus also adds the term perverse, faithless and perverse generation. The word perverse means to turn aside from the right path. Now notice, This isn't necessarily a purposeful turning away from the method and mindset of God, but it's a deviation nonetheless. We do that a lot. One of my pet peeves, and I just, you know, here I go. (laughs) I just can't stand the, the way that pastors, some pastors think that the most important thing is to fill every seat, and so we're going to do anything. We're going to do anything that it takes to fill every seat. The goal is to have a full house. In fact, I know of one Calvary Chapel pastor who actually said, um, "You know, next week, unless if there's one empty seat, I'm resigning." And there were some empty seats, and he went in Monday morning and resigned. And his board told him, "You're being ridiculous. We don't accept your resignation." And he rescinded but it's just that kind of mindset, you know. And and some church gatherings will appeal to the flesh, will appeal to soul soulishness, entertainment, and you guys know all these things. ministering to the felt needs of the people. Good parents don't even minister to the felt needs of their kids. Imagine if we parented that way. Oh, little Johnny just feels like he should have little Susie's toy, so little Johnny gets his way. No, Johnny, grow up. It's her toy. We don't minister to felt needs. You guys with me? So, you know, that's how I think in some ways, I'm deviating a bit, I'm going to get back to the text here, but I think in some ways that the church is a faithless and perverse generation. When we do those kinds of things, We're doing ministry in the name of Jesus Christ, but we'll do it our way, thanks. We'll call you if we need you. When our plans for success run out, if we get desperate, we'll start praying. That's perverse. It's to deviate from the right way. And when I'm talking about perverse, I'm not talking about sexual perversion. I'm talking about deviating from the right way. And it can include that, but we're talking here the the matters of spirit, the matters of faith. We're not to deviate from the ways of God we're not to be practical we're not the, the end does not justify the means with a life with god it's faith and obedience and receiving the dictates of god and saying doesn't matter what the outcome is i'm going to walk in your path lord Amen. and so jesus said this generation is, is faithless and perverse and and we can even be perverse turning away from the right way not in, not even intentionally we can do it just because we're desperate we're in a desperate situation and we don't quite know what to say to somebody and we should say this but we're afraid of their reaction you ever go there i should say this but i'm afraid that i'm going to drive them further away so i'll just do that and i'll just back away and you know at that moment we don't have the faith that we should we're 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 depending on our own wisdom or we're we're giving into fear and emotions and all those kinds of things that's to be faithless and perverse Another ex- uh, definition, if you would, perverse, to treat a situation any other way than God's way. How are you going to know what God wants from you in that moment? Only if you're walking in the Spirit and if you have the Word of God, a full head and a full heart can discern the ways of the Lord. You don't just copy what somebody else does or you know anything like that. And so guys, I just really want to encourage us all. We need to have the utmost trust in God and we need to be careful to not turn away from His ways. And unfortunately, somehow this is what was going on in this situation. We don't want to do things in our own strength and human logic. Sometimes we have faith in methods and history, but that was good for then but not for now. We rush ahead sometimes because we're waiting for God's answer and He's taking too long. Have you ever noticed that God isn't going to be bullied along by our tapping foot? He's just not going to give in. He dwells outside of time, He's never in a hurry. But we are because what might happen? Calm down. You know, have some coconut water. It's okay. Kick, put your feet up. It's all right. Pray. Go pick up your Bible. Just calm down. But I've got to do something. You're right on the edge of perversity. He's not asking you to do something. He's asking you to have faith. Have faith and then do what he tells you because you had faith. So somehow with these guys, there was a disconnect at this moment. Somehow there was a disconnect. The disciples' specific problem. Once again, look at verse 28. When he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? I'm so glad they asked. Jesus explained that this kind of demon, this was an especially difficult case, this particular one, verse 29, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Their problem was this, as as I add things together, lack of faith, trusting in self, and and I might be presuming some things, but I don't think I'm coloring outside of the lines. They had cast out demons before, so maybe they thought, oh, who wants to do it this time? Oh, whose turn is it to cast out a demon? I mean, they might have been saying, oh, no problem. Something was wrong there for Jesus to say faithless and perverse. Something was wrong in their thinking. He just wouldn't say that. So we can insert that there's some kind of problem there in their thinking. Where am I? There it is. Their problem was lack of faith, trusting in self, and also leading up to that moment, a lack of fasting and a lack of prayer. I think it's really interesting that when you get hunger, hungry, we call it hunger pain. How do I know when to eat? Because, besides just wanting to eat, sometimes I eat for flavor, but sometimes I eat because I have pain. I have pain and I need to eat. And so, I, I try to make a joke out of it, I'm going to see if I can get you guys to laugh a little bit, but... You know, I would fast more except that it just hurts, you know. And yet, how can I be ready? How can I be better prepared, guys? How can you be better prepared? How can we be better prepared for what we don't know is coming? We can't just respond in the moment, we can't just respond because we say, well, I've been a Christian all these years, I've studied the Bible, I've gone to conferences and this and that, and, and I mean, praise the Lord for all of that, and I'm not involved with those substances like I used to be, praise the Lord for that, and I'm you know, serving, and I'm loving people, and I'm forgiving people, and I'm bringing my offerings to the Lord, and praise the Lord for that, and all that's wonderful, but there might still be something coming, and probably is that you're not ready for right now. As you sit here right now, you're not ready for it. And you don't know that it's coming isn't that life the policeman knocks on your door one of the chaplains knocks on your door there's been an accident or you get a phone call a family member this or that or whatever the case may be your investments went went south instead of going north there's something for all of us very likely i'm not trying to aren't you glad you came to church today pastor bill scared the wits out of us you know i'm not trying to scare you it's just a warning We just need to remember that all the things that you've done and all the things that you're doing, as good as they are, they might not be enough for the next thing that's coming. You know, how many of you guys have earthquake preparedness kits? Raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you, guess what? Did you know there's a fault line running through Westwood Hills? Did you know that? We live about 200 yards. Our house got shook. My lovely wife, we have... Somewhat of an earthquake preparedness kit. Do we know that it's coming? No, but we're ready if it comes. Spiritually speaking, we have an enemy that wants to devour us. You guys know that, right? Amen? He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I don't know that lions ever take a day off. (laughs) They're always just on the prowl. They're always looking. And so we need to be ready for that thing that's coming and we see in verse 29 that their failure wasn't all the things all the good things that they were doing were all good things and they were to be commended and yet jesus said you know you could have pressed in a bit more and you should have pressed in a bit more you should have been praying more you should have been fasting Not because of the emergency that came, but because of the emergency that's coming. Not because of the challenge that's staring you in the face, but because of the challenge that might just be right around the corner. Or next week or next month. The things that we don't know that are coming, sometimes we go into neutral, don't we? You know, sometimes when I have fasted, it's after the catastrophe has shown up. And then I fast because I realize I need to recalibrate. I need to, I need to, whew, I've been in neutral. I wasn't as ready for this as I thought. I need to, I need to kind of recalibrate here. So I'm going to you know, go some time and, and, and really seek the Lord. You know, th- these are all ambiguous kind of intangible things, but just maybe I would have been better to meet that unexpected thing if I had already been fasting regularly and praying more. You guys with me?
1: You
0: guys with me? (laughs) It's true, isn't it? You guys know it's true, right? Yes or no? It's true. It's true. And it's just that crazy human nature that says, "Eh, everything feels pretty good. I think I'll just put it in neutral and get good gas mileage right now. You know? No, you know what? We can never go into neutral. We can never go into neutral enjoy the enjoy when the spiritual enjoy the lull in the spiritual battle to be sure but the battle's not over till he takes us home so there's a great quote here from Mr. David Gusick he says this great prayer and fasting displays earnestness before God that brings answer to prayer often we dispassionately excuse me, often we pray dispassionately, almost asking God to care about things we care nothing about. Wow. I had some thoughts on soldiers. Consider the soldier. He becomes an expert in his weapons. He studies the battlefield. He studies the history of wars. He keeps himself in shape He prepares for the unexpected, maintains a new training regularly. He stays current with all aspects of war. He makes it his life. He is in a war and cannot assume that yesterday's victories guarantee tomorrow's victories. So I thought about that little idea, and I thought imagine what a wonderful ending to a story, how that story could have ended sooner if the disciples had been praying and fasting, if they had been more prepared. They had a tremendous history with Jesus. And a lot of us here have a tremendous history with Jesus. And I'm so glad for that. And I hear the stories about the great things some of you guys are doing. It's just a blessing. And yet, and the Lord has, and I'm, you know, and, and I'm not standing up here, you know, waving a long bony finger in anybody's face. I'm not saying, you guys are, I'm not, I'm not doing that thing. But, but here, as we go through the scriptures, and that's why we go through, through the Bible verse by verse, so we hit on every little thing, you know, and, and it's all applicable and relevant for life. And if the Lord is saying, you know what? And, and this might be what's happening today. The Lord might be saying, hey, I'm talking to you. And, and you, you and the Lord know that. I'm talking to you. The five-minute prayers are nice, but, but it's like, you know, a, a teaspoon of protein powder. You need some meat. You need to get in there. You need to pray. You need to turn all your devices off for 30 minutes, except the stopwatch, you know, on your phone. You need to dedicate a half an hour. You need to dedicate an hour. You need to skip a meal two or three times a week and pray through your hunger pain because there's a lot happening in our city and, and that, and that, that Jesus can fix, right? There's a lot of people that need to be saved. So this isn't some mandate, you know, from, from the papal authority up in the front, the talking head with the microphone on. This is the Lord speaking to you. And guys, we're not going to escape these crazy, unexpected challenges that come to us. We're not going to. And there's all, they're all bigger than us anyway. And a lot of us have, have been able to, by God's grace and His strength and His presence in our lives, we've been able to get, get past all these challenges. And we're just like, gosh, the Lord has done so much. And I'm just praise His name, and all those wonderful things, you know. But but we haven't finished our race yet, have we? We have not finished our race. And the deceiver is still out there doing his thing. Ray Stedman, look at this quote. This kind cannot be driven out except by a heart which is kept fresh and alive and in touch with God by a life of prayer. They had done well, but they could have been doing better. And this isn't this is not to make anybody feel guilty. Maybe convinced or convicted about, you know what, yeah, I've been in neutral, I've been slacking, I need to put the you know, put my foot on the gas pedal again, I need to push push harder because things are coming. Um we're gonna sing a hymn. Get out your hymnals. We're gonna kinda sing it. Page four. I was reminded of this great song. It's such wonderful theology. I'm just going to try to freestyle my way through this thing. You can listen if it's too weird. <laughs>
1: A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Check this out. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not His equal. Isn't that what they faced right there, the disciples? Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask what that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He, Lord Sabbath, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. Good words, huh? And it goes on.
0: Take some time to read it. Our ancient foe seeks to do us woe. And that was what was happening here. And with all the success and all the victory that they had had, they weren't ready for this day. And the next thing's coming. And we do so well to have our emergency preparation kits in place. To not go into neutral. The Bible calls the Christian life running a race. You ever see those videos uh, on the internet where somebody's celebrating too soon? (laughs) You ever see those? If you like to go on YouTube, and be careful where you go, but if you like to go on YouTube, look up Celebrating Too Soon. You'll see a runner, he's about to cross the finish line and he starts doing this and somebody just runs right by him and beats him. He's like, oh! Or the guys on the Tour de France, they're riding the bike in the last 50 yards, they're putting their hands up in the air and some guy puts his head down and just blows right by him and he loses. We keep our heads down to the end, guys. We keep our hands on the plow till the end. We don't don't coast. When we start coasting, going into neutral, we're not ready. If you have any questions, you can text them in. Look at your notes here. Ephesians 6.10, we need to be reminded. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Christians, cornerstone each one of us, take up the whole armor of God. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying how often? Always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with how much? All perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Are there any questions this morning? How did a boy become possessed by a demon? The father said that his son had been possessed since childhood. How does a child become possessed? Gosh, you know, I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it's, it sure seems to, to be that... And I'm just kind of shooting from the hip here, shooting from the lip, uh, as Stuart Briscoe would say. Um... There, that family may have been dabbling with the occult. They, have, they, may, they, have already, they may have already made offerings to demonic idols. They may have given up a baby already uh, to, in demonic worship. I would guess, I don't know, but I would guess that there was some kind of openness in that family and a welcoming of, of power that wasn't from God because somebody was greedy or desperate or fearful or something. There had to be some kind of open door a lack of protection, lack of parental protection, perhaps. It's hard to say. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Those are, those are just some ideas. So I don't know. And I know a lot. I know. I know even some people here have had experiences. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've had experiences with demons. A couple experiences with demons. I've been almost physically attacked and had a manifest in, right right in front of my face twice. And I didn't invite it. You know, uh, happened twice in my sleep. uh, But I can't preach that experience to you. I can tell you that it happened, but we all have different experiences. So it's hard to know. But we know this. He that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. Right? Amen? So we know that. We don't have to speculate on that. So stay close to Jesus. Don't open your hearts up to anything. If anybody's here messing, messing with tarot cards or Ouija boards or... Any any darkness like that, you are opening yourself up to be lied to and deceived, and and our ancient foe seeks to do us woe, and he will entice you and lie to you. His name is liar and deceiver. Those are some of his names, and so he'll even appear as an angel of light. He'll pretend to be an angel from God, and so we need to be very vigilant to know the know God's word, because then we can identify the enemy when he comes. So. Uh, but I don't know how the boy got possessed. The Bible doesn't tell us. If this kind of demon can come out only by prayer and fasting, how are other types of demons cast out? In the Gospels, we, we see Jesus just simply telling the demon to get out. And in, I, I have friends that have cast out demons before. I never have. Um, but they have just commanded the name, in the name of Jesus for the demon to leave. And apparently sometimes it's been a bit of a confrontation. It's gone on for a while. Um, I, I don't think there's any, you know, there's no, there's no ritual. There's no sprinkling of this or, you know, anointing with that or anything like that. Jesus always just simply used a word. And, um, you know, though, though demonic activity is manifested... In the flesh, it, the, real, the real battle is in the realm of the Spirit, in the unseen. And So the battle has to be done in the realm of the Spirit, in the unseen. And so you might see movies or people doing this or that or putting smoke or you know whatever. The Bible doesn't speak to any of that. But if we're going to look for a pattern, look at Jesus. He just simply said, be gone. And he, but the thing is, he had the authority. He had the authority to do it. There were some people in the book of Acts that were trying to cast out a demon, and the demon basically said to them, Jesus I know, and the Apostle Paul I know, but who are you guys? And then they got beat up by this demonically uh, possessed man. So there was a a lack of spiritual authority. They used the words, but there was no authority. And so we want to walk in the authority of the Lord. Didn't Jesus tell the Pharisees that the disciples didn't need to fast when they were with him? Then why now do they need to, then why now do they need to fast and before it didn't apply? Good question. Thinking congregants are dangerous things. Before um, the Pharisees, and this was during the time of John the Baptist, when Jesus was getting introduced by John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Pharisees were fasting and afflicting themselves as a sign of repentance and as a sign of sorrow and humility and all of that. And Jesus simply said this. um, I think it was Jesus who said this. One of those guys, Jesus or John. He likened it to to the arrival of the bridegroom that when the bridegroom is in the house, to be joined to his bride. It's not a time for fasting. It's a time for rejoicing. And so th- their question about fasting was repentance and, and probably a looking for the bridegroom, a looking for the Messiah to come. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to fast for that. The Messiah is here. So their their reason for fasting was different than what Jesus is talking about now. I hope that makes sense. Does that make sense? It was a diff- different 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 reason and a different application so good question what is your advice for non-believers who are loved ones what is your advice for non-believers who are loved ones that are very anti-religion it seems like they shut down and ignore when christianity is discussed is softening their stance on the religion the first step i, I think the first step should be prayer and fasting. <laughs> It's a very good question and and I don't mean to to minimize the question at all but life in the spirit when when Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3 he said you know we recognize you're a man from God nobody could do the things unless God was with you and Jesus began to say you can't even be born you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again and then Jesus described the Christian life the life of the spirit he says it's like the wind life in the spirit is like the wind." In some ways. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. But you see the effects of the wind. And so I think that that leads us to this idea. It's good good to know the Roman's road to lead somebody to repentance or to have a way to witness to somebody or this or that. But we dare not go on automatic pilot because the life of the Spirit is not one size fits all. You know, I, I look at John the Baptist and he's like, Repent! You know, I'm... Did I get your attention? He's screaming at him, you know? But Jesus is over here with, with Nicodemus, well, so you need to be born again. Both ways were perfectly right. So it's not one size fits all. So for your unsaved family members and friends and people that you know, love them and pray for them and fast for them so that you'll have a, a word fitly spoken and, or, or an action fitly spoken or silence fitly done. Maybe it's better just to say nothing. Let him him wrestle with the Lord like Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God and he came out limping, but he came out governed by God. It's a moving target, guys. Christianity is not a formula. Do we have uh, uh, eternal truths? Absolutely. How about life in the Spirit? It's a moving target. You have to figure out what the Spirit is saying to you. How many times did Jesus say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to you. What should I do today, Pastor But What should I do for my unsaved family member, this and that? I don't know. Go seek the Lord. Well, I kind of prayed. I offered up a prayer right before my meal. Why don't you offer up a prayer for an hour? Do you want God to care? That, well, God is going to care more about things than we ever do, but shouldn't we care more? Can't we turn off Netflix for an hour and pray for somebody? Can we be desperate for their souls? Yes or no? Amen. Yes. Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God, the violent take it by force. And and we just studied this last Wednesday. It's basically this idea. You can't just sashay yourself into heaven. Yes, we receive forgiveness by faith, but to get a lot of the kingdom work done, you've got to get your spiritual hands dirty and get some calluses on your knees. I wouldn't soften the message ever. I'd pray to give the right part of the message at the right time. Does Cornerstone fast and pray together? We have before. We haven't for a while. I've heard of some churches doing that. Why, why do we or why do we not do that? We've done it before. We've had a week-long time of, of prayer and fasting, and uh, maybe it's time. It's a good idea. We've done it typically before at the beginning of the year, and then I started traveling to Mexico a lot in January, kind of got away from it, but um, I appreciate that. It's a good idea for a church to do that. Any other questions? Demons or mental illness, what is the difference? One is spiritual and one is organic. And sometimes it's hard to know the difference. So, If it's organic, I pray that people will take medication. There's a number of schizophrenic people that we can recognize around town and you see them because they're talking to themselves. And so have mercy on those people. They need help. Give them some food. Give them a food cart or something like that. I get around schizophrenic people and I might be a little afraid because they're unpredictable, but I don't, have a, I don't feel a sense or presence of evil there necessarily. But one, one can probably mimic the other, but, there, but there's a difference. One is, one is in the realm of the spirit. One is an organic problem in the body. We're going to have the worship team come up and lead us in a, in a closing song. I would like to just ask if you need prayer for anything. We always want to just respond to the Lord before we leave the room. And so... If you need prayer, uh, would you please come on up here and some of us will just be either standing or sitting up here on the steps and we'd love to pray with you. Maybe some people over on the side will, will be praying for you. So, Good questions today, guys. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's no demonic spirit that's stronger than you, Lord. There's no entity that can overpower you or outthink you or outmaneuver you, Lord. We truly serve, God, an awesome God. You are an awesome God. And I pray, Lord, that our vision of you and our understanding of you would be greatly raised, Lord, greatly enhanced, Lord, as we see how awesome you are. Lord, I pray that we would pray with more confidence in regards to the unsaved, in regards to the oppressed, God. Those who are in... The bonds of addiction or those who are stubborn and and won't repent God I pray that we would pray and fast Lord for people that we would be more prepared for that unseen thing that's undoubtedly coming God help us to stay out of neutral Lord the neutral is no place for us Lord even in the lull in the battle we can still be engaged God so Lord we pray your blessings over our church God And Lord, right now, we pray for our unsaved loved ones, our friends, our family members. God, would you, right now, would you invade their minds and their hearts right this very minute and remind them of who you are and how much you love them, God, and that they need you. Would you remind them right now that there's a coming judgment, God, and that they will face you and that they can face you forgiven, Lord, and pardoned. So Lord, we commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen.